And we are live. Good afternoon, everybody. It's a Thursday afternoon in very, very hot and dry California. Uh, thank you for joining us once again here on During Live. Really excited to have you here. Uh, now, for those of you who know Jens Kruger, he definitely doesn't need an introduction. For those of you who don't, I would say that Jens is arguably one of the best players to ever pick up a banjo. Uh, born and raised in Switzerland, Jens has lived in North Carolina since 2003, along with his brother Uwe, and is one-third of the Immaculate Kruger Brothers, who if you have not seen live, I would urge you to do so as soon as you can, whenever that may be, but check them out on YouTube, check them out on their Facebook Live sessions, which we'll be talking about here momentarily. Uh, but Jens is a banjoist, he is a composer. And he takes the world of banjo playing and construction to new heights, working very closely with Greg Deering here and the rest of the R&D team. Uh, and he pushes the banjo to what it is truly capable of. And uh, like I say, our guest today is Mr. Jens Kruger. Jens, how are you, sir? I'm doing really well. It's fantastic to, uh, to be on this, uh, on this uh, live stream. This is really great. This is very Thank cool. You. Thank you. Uh, absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. And uh, I know you were here last week with us, but... Um, we were talking about strings last week, so this week we're going to get into all things Jens. Uh, and then with me, as always, is Mr. David Bandraski. How are you, David? I'm doing well. Excellent. Oh. All right. Hi, David. Hey, Jens. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. Would you mind playing us a little something to get us into the groove here where we get some uh, people on board? Yes, I just play a little bit of a piece called Margarete. Thank you. 
Wow, wonderful. <laughs> Sounds like you have an accompaniment there too. Yeah, Uwe, Uwe came in and um, <laughs> you probably heard him come in, so, so he's here. Hey, Uwe. That's great. <laughs> hey, Uwe. <laughs> All right. Well, I was, uh, before, I was going to talk about kind of some of your, your story, but maybe I want to jump into kind of what you're just playing, that piece, some of the compositional techniques you're using there. You're kind of using... <laughs> you're kind of using some like a technique where you're moving um leading tones arpeggiating chords and mo using leading tones kind of moving one note down a lot and it's a common i don't know what era is from from but it's classical piano but i don't know the exact era kind of well yeah there's 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 different techniques involved you know um, um uh, but it's a piece that I've uh, written on an album called Lucid Dreamer, which was a commission piece by uh, um, the Chamber Music America uh -huh. through the Contras Quartet from Chicago. And uh, it's been a while, uh, a while back. And this was a piece that was dedicated uh, to my mom, uh, my mother. Uh, her name was Margarete. I'd always wanted to write a piece for her. Uh, she passed away a long, long time ago. But uh, but 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 with the the comp composition technique, basically, um, uh, the the idea is that things uh, have common tone. Mm -hmm. I use common tone technique in this piece in particular. I just wanted to stick to an underlying concept. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes underlying concepts are not. Uh, you can really put your finger on what it is, but but it gives a sense of a connection to everything right. that is happening. And so I'm always trying to find an underlying concept for, for not always, but a lot of times I try to find a, an underlying concept of a composition. So it sort of starts to sound like a substantial something. Right. You know? So in this case, I have a C chord, for instance, and then I'm going to F major seven. Which of course, you know, the, uh, the, the the E becomes the the major seven, and uh, so I can move through the chords, and then I have G suspended, and I still have the B standing and the D standing for the G thirteen, and then it becomes the E suspended, going going into to E suspended, and I have common tone going into. Uh, you know, all, all, you know all the other chords, but they're they're connected uh, right. in in a way where I have standing notes, and I think that that works really well. That's a technique been used, you know, two hundred years ago mainly to right. connect chords. You know, a right. lot of times. So yeah, and it's interesting that you can get it to, you know, it sounds like a, it doesn't just sound like chords moving chords around kind of randomly. You know, it sounds like there's a melodic idea to it too yes because it's the melody da, 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 da. so sometimes the melody kind of coming to you First, and you're kind of let finding a harmony to it, or are they kind of coming together at the same time? It's a it's a combination, but most yeah. of the time, I most of the time, I I start with a melody. You know, for okay. me, still, I'm uh, very much bound to melody writing. Uh, so I I come up with a melody that most of the time also sounds good just on the banjo solo. Mm -hmm. uh, 
because you know I I played a lot by myself or practice a lot and right. uh, and so it feels just nice to have something that that works alone you mm-hmm. know or I or I try to find uh, you know notes that work with the melody at the same time but um, um, but when I go like <laughs> the chord structure because I'm playing the chords right? Right, right behind behind the melody but if I have maybe something that is more like a This, this sense there's really just melody yeah and and, and most of the time I'm, um, I'm 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 leaning on uh, creating a melody first uh by finding themes that i develop and then go from there right right and then it's also beautiful how you can use a lot of your music has this you 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 can play you know slower slower music on the banjo and really have big tones it's you know really let the the banjo tone really come out of the instrument and you know not just having a flurry of notes all the time well it, it that that is an interesting development that happened you know when i uh, i used to play a lot you know as a musician as a i played also guitar electric guitar and i would come home after shows and uh, would play lots of places where there was just party you know a lot, a lot of party and uh, and of course, banjo is always associated with lots of notes and playing fast. Right. And then I would come home, and maybe my family would be asleep, my kids, or you know, I'd be home. And I, I'm in the I'm in the living room, and I can't go to sleep, so I have to sort of you know find something. Um, and then I sit around and go. And then I realized that the banjo I was playing uh, didn't have the sustain I wanted mm-hmm. to have the banjo. So I needed a way of uh, um, setting the band drops that would have enough sustain to do that. Um, and one of the ways is that I kept my head fairly loose. You know, uh-huh. the band head is, it's not as tight as usually right below. This is a G, you see. So it's a below a G. And, uh, and the strings are fairly thick. Uh, you know, these are 11s. And 11s just have, um, if I play a single note, Have lots of sound, uh, you know, coming from one string. If if the if the string's really thin, I I can get that same kind of sound, but it's not really. I cannot really dig into it. You mm-hmm. know, playing slow doesn't mean you have to play quiet. Right. Um, right. You know, it's 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 not like. You know, if I play this with a string quartet, it's really. Or if I play, and so in order to have the, the the dynamic range that I would like to have for expression, a thicker string gives me more headroom up. 
Right. And um, and even though sometimes it has disadvantages, you know, playing a thicker string, but for me it, it works for what I do, especially when I play my brother Joel and or string quartet, uh, because I just have a lot of I have a great dynamic range with a thicker string. Um, and then also I developed a few, um, not developed probably, but I just for myself, you know, I I found that um, that that I use uh, vibrato mm -hmm. and. And the use of vibrato and why, you know, why was it important to me? Because if I just have a note standing, if I just have it standing, it's nothing happening to the note and it seems to just right. sort of disappear out of consciousness. You know, it's like a train that you just watch the tail and just move away. It's, it's hard to keep your focus on. But as soon as it, 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 it does something, it, it moves a little bit, it's easier to keep your, your attention to it, right? Right, and, right, definitely. And so, and so when, I, when I start a note, then I, then I can easily then start adding, adding a little bit of, of the... And you see now the note really... And I can decide how much I want from that. And then I realized if I have open uh, chords, I, I can uh, I can just move the neck a little bit. Sonny Osborne has been doing this a lot, but but uh, I think he bro once broke a neck off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I read that story. I don't know if it's true, but I think it was just in the end, you know. Um, but when I, mean, I play all the strings, uh, three strings. And, I do this, right? Okay. It starts to really, and that's nice. So, so um, when I play, for instance, and it's not much. Yeah. And I usually just do it when I have a pause, you know, when I play like. Right. As soon as I have a pause, I, I start to add something. And then um, I also, um, uh, I started muting the, the, the bridge with, my, with the palm of my hand. And I can get sort of a, this, this sound, you know, I, yeah, I play really hard and then leave it alone. It's like a wah-wah pedal. And then I can, <laughs> I can, and then I can um, uh, add a little of that chorus effect. Right. See that? Yeah. And then I can add chords maybe. <laughs> but like I said, with, 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 uh, thanks to my brother, he's helping me here, but <laughs> with the thicker strings, it allows me to do this. Now, there's a disadvantage, you know, with thicker strings, because when you want to play really fast, it's, um, it's harder to get uh, note separation 
as 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 easy as with thin, thin strings have a better note separation in a bluegrass band. You know, right, right. So you got to play a little different to get to get the notes to be uh, distinct. But it's a technique, you know. So it's it's not quite as easy. <laughs> but it works, you know. For for what we do, it it it's it's good enough. <laughs> I love how Uve even knows when you're about to just stop suddenly. I know, I know. <laughs> Uve is like a shadow. Uh, it's always surprising when we're in the studio and we record live. The string quartet, I was just saying that before we recorded, um, uh, the, you know, Roam Out and Sweet uh, last time, I think, with the string quartet live in the mm. studio. We all just sit around in a circle. And then mm. I look back, you know, I go back to the track, and uh, Uwe is like, every note is with my note. It's really like wow. a miracle. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> Somehow a little scary. Hey, you know, Uwe, Uwe is, he's looking in the chat right now as well. I can see him. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. I mean it's you're you're lucky to have, you know, a band member for this long, you know, that you get to play with, so you really get to so he gets to be like a shadow, you know, to do that close and then, you know, your brother as well. Yeah, we used to, you know, I mean, we're brothers. And so we had our times where we, where we, you know, would struggle with each other as well, you know, but mm -hmm. uh, we got over it at one point and just stopped, uh, um, you know, just, we just uh, support each other, I think. So it's very, very beautiful to have that. You, know, you two have kind of different musical backgrounds a little bit, right? I mean, you grew up playing together, but you both... Well, our basic our, our basic musical background, you know, the, the first sort of impulse of musical background is pretty much exactly the same. Okay. Because our, we sang the same songs with our mother, our father. We had the same albums we listened to, of course. Uh, we were not exposed. We didn't go to many concerts uh, as, as children. You know, it wasn't the thing that we would do. I think I saw my first classical orchestra, you know, in my teens sometime. So there was not, I mean, uh, there was not much... Um, concert going you know uh, and Uwe, you know so our basic background is very much we do the same albums you know the same mm -hmm. same deep purple and the same country right. gentleman and the same uh, you know pretty much pretty much the same chad atkins and louis armstrong and uh, and all that so and beethoven and i think it connects us to a degree that we that we grew up with the same german sort of folk music and, and melodies very beautiful melodies uh, in in northern germany Mm -hmm. um, because northern German folk music is based around guitar as well, so people sing and play guitar. Uh, C.F. Martin came from northern Germany, oh, wow. and um, you know, so a guitar builder. And so um, uh, both of my parents, you know, played accordions mm -hmm. and, and and guitar and recorder and harmonicas, and you know, they sang. My father even owned a banjo. There's a picture of my brother holding a banjo, and he's I think three years old. And, yeah, tenor banjo or five tenor, a tenor banjo, yeah, uh, a tenor banjo, and it broke. My father sat in it once. It was leaning in a in an armchair, and he he came home and he he sat into it and broke the neck off. So I've never seen the banjo actually intact. I don't. I can't remember it being intact. But the parts were laying on a shelf uh, in his workroom, and uh, uh, we took the pot and we took it into our uh, playroom and uh -huh. dropped Lego on it and see how far they can bounce. <laughs> I saw a question here. Can, can you play some some Beatles on the <laughs> Yeah. 
fault. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah, because. that's great. That's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but so Uwe, Uwe, and you know later uh, uh, learned uh, um, uh, you know got into blues and all kinds of things, and of course me too at one point right, yeah. uh, listening to a lot of. Uh, um, but I think we have a very similar liking. You know, when I look at it overall. Uh, we 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 like a, a, a huge variety of music. We still send each other links of people that we discover or mm -hmm. uh, compositions we like or uh, composers we we are fond of, and, uh, and it's nice to have that you know to share to share that. What's some? Who are some musicians that you're listening to now that are inspiring you? Well, I just I just recently you know listened to quite a few of uh, 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 Jacob Collier. You know, because I thought it's just it's like a phenomenon, and I, I'm really just—it's uh, just great to see see this young man what he, what he does. It's inspiring because he's going his own path, no matter what everybody's you know maybe thinking or not. But of course, I'm not familiar with him. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, he's from he's from London, North London, and uh, he plays piano. Guitar, drums, bass, anything, and he sings unbelievable. His mother was uh, also a musician teacher, but he's he's got something special going on. He's 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 a harmony whiz kid, so uh, uh -huh. and he can sing unbelievable. He's very expressive and very direct and very just on the on the spot with new things. So, but um, but there's a lot of people I I there's a lot of people I really like. Uh, yeah. When I'm composing. Uh, when I'm composing, I'm 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 usually not listening to too much music. Yes, because you know when I'm when I have to uh, when I want to write music, um, it's sometimes difficult to listen to new to to to, to already existing music because uh, not only it can be discouraging because it's so good and done and it's right. finished, right? And I'm still in the process of finding themes or mm -hmm. something that I could make into something and. If I constantly hear, you know, finished beautiful things that I that that touch me so much that, that it keeps me away from my own imaginations, mm -hmm. and so I have to stay away from it. I don't do that consequently, but I just try to, you know, take it out of my life a little bit. So right. so so I then can sit down because I I realized, you know, for me, I'm easily influenced by a lot of things, you know, and. Um, uh, it's like when I see good food, I really want to eat it, <laughs> or, or you know, I'm influenced. You know, I, I I I go after things, and and so when I hear great music, I go right to my instrument and try to use some of the things I just heard, mm -hmm. but they're not mine yet, and sometimes they get into the way of my inner. Um, no, you mean yeah inner things, you know, that I need to get out now. You know, there's a time for that, but maybe in a later year or later month or I don't know it has to sort of settle you know like compost you know new, new things have to come in and and sort of you know become fertile right and um, but it takes a while and I cannot expect new things to to be that all the time sometimes it happened but it's very rare you know right. I I'd rather the things that I that came out of deeper from within me I enjoy for a longer period of time let's put it this way I can then Play them in years to come, and I feel like they're a part of me. They actually are part of me. What can you say to people at home that are, you know, we all get kind of stuck on in ruts or stuck in plateaus where we aren't feeling inspired or creative or feel like we're getting better on the instrument? Um, what, what are some just almost not necessarily technical things, but to get inspirational things to get out of these ruts sometimes? 
I think there's a there's actually an interesting way that I use all the time, and I have said it to to uh, um, gave this this hint. It's not you see that's that's the interesting thing about music. There's not a really a recipe that works for everything, but mm-hmm. but 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 what helped me a lot and still helps me a lot is if I if I sing along with what I play. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like a, and then all of a sudden I connect my my melody mind to my instrument because your otherwise ear, it, almost your ear that creative ear side opens up as opposed to you doing the theoretical mathematical or or or, or uh, opposed to the things that I can already play right yeah you yeah. know so if i i just working on you on a new little um, and so and so on so, uh, but this is all thought out. I, I didn't try this on the banjo. <laughs> right. The problem, the problem is that I get I get into situations where I think of music, and it's so complicated that I have a real hard time playing it. Uh, I have, I, and then I practice for for weeks, and I still sometimes can't really get it get it right. And that's just bad luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, I'm, but most of the time, I find things that I'm also able to play. You know, at one point. And, right. uh, and and so it's a combination of sometimes, you know, work with chord structures that I like, but most of the time, like uh, before, you know, I try to uh, play something that's in my head. And in order, you know, to, to if I say after this note, and if I go, if I would have, just as an example, if I would have just played these notes, I would not have played that. Mm-hmm. I played it because I was singing along. So right. my singing actually really created a different pathway of how I play music. And, Get out and of just muscle memory kind of. Yes, right. It really uh, opens. And then also it helps me to remember where the notes are. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so. Right, it I helps can, you learn these intervals and where they are, you know. Yeah, so actually, I, I could possibly, uh, you know, I can play anything I can actually sing uh-huh. because my fingers will go there. Uh-huh. But a lot of times, I'm not really sure of what I want to sing because, you know, and there's there's music going on and I don't really hear my my music. For instance, I hear my banjo too loud in the monitor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, then, then I'm hearing the sound of the banjo more than my own idea about music, mm-hmm. and it's a disconnect, you know. So that's why I practice most of the time at home, uh, stuffing a towel on my banjo, so I don't, so it's not so loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then, and then I try to sing along. It helps me if I go. That's I think was pretty nice. Mm-hmm. And if I would have just tried to play something on the banjo, I would not have done that. 
-hmm. And that's a good way of opening new ideas. Um, How about pictures in your head? Well, yeah, that's that's we, we just mentioned that I have a, uh, I have a method how I basically compose uh -huh. by uh, you know the, there's there's a bass problem. <laughs> the bass problem is somebody asked me if I could write a concerto for for um, you know Roll Mountain or for for Ogden or, or Banff Center or you know for Canada or it's just an idea and then I say yes and then they already confirmed the premiere date <laughs> now and, and I, haven't, I haven't written a single note and they already and so uh, it's it's quite scary it used to be but now I know I have a process where I know I can actually finish a piece right um, and my process is that I you know uh, get um, um, uh, books you know like how you say sketchbooks um, um, they're notebooks, you know, like, yeah, like, yeah, like scrap, scrapbooks, you know, and uh, and so I write in, let's say, a scene uh, of that particular commission that I that I gave myself, even or you know, so I write in a scene or a, or a person or something, and then I um, write it in meaning you write like a script or you write no I just write everything awesome. that that is part let's say there was a lady there were stories about women of the west for the Ogden and there, there was tragic stories about you know women who lost their children or lost one woman lost her husband and he never came home no no that's not true no he, she lost her husband by an accident on the farm she after a few days you know she tried to heal him he died she put him on a wagon and it was hot summer and the child and she had no more water. And it was just terrible. And she, it took her a week to get to, to Ogden. And, um, and it's just all these amazing stories, you know, of, of, of the women of the West that, mm -hmm. that I said. So I combined them all to one story, like a um, lady with parasol, I called it a, a woman that, uh, a lady that, that, that lives in a hotel and goes to the railway station down at Ogden and the, uh, says goodbye to everybody but in the evening when everybody you know she goes home to, she goes back to the hotel right uh, because she can't leave the place she doesn't know where to go right and um and then i i write everything i like about the story or touches me about this whole idea down and then i try to create music that doesn't interfere with the image i have about this now when i have this woman um uh, think about this lady in, the, in that hotel it will not be it will also not be you know, it's not going to be that. So, so you try all the op all the the possibilities. It's not going to be. You know, it's not going to be that. So, what is it going to? Frame of reference of some kind. Yeah. So, so, so because my mind sticks with a certain idea of emotions, yeah. um, uh, then I can actually find something that doesn't disturb that at least. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I I find a color maybe that's like this. Thank you. 
get the idea, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And then, of course, it moves forward. And so on, yeah? <laughs> that's fabulous. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like your film scoring for, you know, this movie that's in your own head. Yes, actually, actually it is. And because then I have all these themes ready, Mm -hmm. All the scenes ready. I know which how, and then for for the lady with parasol, for instance, you know, for it's about a five minute piece, um, four and a half minutes. Uh, I have three different pictures I use, and these three pictures, three, three different pictures help each other and they develop mm -hmm. each other and and it becomes a piece. And then I have this for each piece of the entire hour, right. you know, and uh, and that gives me enough material then to work on. So the theme. Um, collecting is a process that takes quite some time and um, just sitting down and working on it, you know. And mm -hmm. then once I have the theme, I can make music out of it. Is there a, um, a documentation process there? Like if you maybe, you know, you've got a pretty unique story in as much as you guys kind of left home when you were 16, right? Uh, traveled through Europe busking and um, really kind of seeing a lot of things that maybe kids your age hadn't seen, you know. Do you document stuff as you go through? Maybe take a picture of something that you want to remember later for, for this kind of for this kind of process? Or or is it just kind of kept up here in your head? No, I I, I was never I never had cameras, you know, when I was a kid or uh, um, it never came to my mind that that could ever be of any importance for me. You know, you'd live and just sort of survive and go through life. Sure. Um, but I, but I remember a lot of things, you know, I, it's all the things that you, that you experience, you know, it's the good, the bad and the, the neutrals. <laughs> sure. And they all, they all leave an impression on you and uh, they, you carry them with, with you, you know, as long as you go. But, um, but my brother and I, we had an interesting life because we moved around a lot when we were children, uh, parents moved from town to town mm -hmm. uh, quite frequently. And then, uh, um, our father also went through different professions and we ended up, you know, running a restaurant and a butcher store and, wow. you know, and so uh, we, we became street musicians because there was no more home really. And, uh, and we stayed on the streets for about two years. And in, the, in that time we, we, we met some amazing people we would have not met. And it's also interesting today uh, when, when we think about that, uh, when you're once at the very lowest spot in society, I mean, when you're really um, in a park somewhere sleeping maybe or in a homeless shelter or you don't have a home, uh, and uh, then you look at society in a very different way. You know, if you later, you never forget that. You, you know how that feels. Uh, is a... Not that I'm saying everybody should... <laughs> should no, of course. That, but, but, but I... But, but it's an interesting point of view. Um, uh, it clearly plays into kind of how you, you know, who you are today, the musician you are today, moving, you know, traveling back and forth to the U.S., uh, appearing at Morfest, and then eventually kind of relocating uh, in the U.S. in North Carolina, where you've been since 2003, right? It, all those, those, yes, we, those, those trips and those, those journeys together with Uwe must have played into kind of who you are right now as a, as a musician and as a composer? I, yes, I think I, I was, when I look back, I was always very lucky. I was always um, lucky in the sense that I always met musicians that were much better than me, you know, that uh, when I, 
and, and I could learn things from, you know, like for instance, I was playing in a country band, uh, electric guitar, and there was a, a piano player, his name was Gino Todesco. And, uh, and I wondered what, what chords are these? And I just r realized, oh, he's playing regular triads. Uh, you know, he's, um, he's, he's doing, he's running re regular triads and, and over, over my chords mm -hmm. and as substitutions, you know, I didn't know that. And then I, I realized, wow. And so I, I was always able to, I played another band that there was a David Ruosh, a great jazz player. And I could ask him things, you know, because I never had, never went to music school, but I was never afraid to ask, you know, uh, what was that you just did? Or what is that? What is that scale? Or what is, uh, you know, what, what, what is that? And how do you use that? Or, uh, and I became always very interested in music theory. And so I always had something to talk to musicians that I thought could learn something from. And some, a lot of times you learn from musicians just being around them, uh, see how they approach music and how they sit there in a, in a, sh in a session and um, how they behave, how they get to uh, play good music. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so I was always fortunate being around good musicians. Um, that's, that's luck. You know, I would yeah. say um, one of the first musicians I, the, the first musician that really inspired me uh, really greatly, still think very, very highly of, of course, is Bill Monroe. He helped me uh, when I came to uh, America in 1982. Uh, was, um, he invited me to play with him at Indiana Bean Blossom and in the Station Inn and in the Grand Ole Opry and several other places. And um, it, I lived on his farm for two months I was great because you know we got to jam in the kitchen at night, eat ice cream, and <laughs> and and he would he would ask me, um, "Do you write your own music?" And I said, uh, "Not really." Um, you know, I was 19 years old, and I could play a lot of licks and things and combine them. When you're young, you are very capable of being uh, very artistic with your fingers you know you can mm -hmm. your mind works fast and you don't have that much in it you can use everything you know to full capacity because you don't see the all the other choices yeah. <laughs> that, that yeah. problem comes later but um, but then you but he helped me a great deal you know he, he asked me can you play me something you write you wrote and I played him I, it's nothing really, but I, I just, that, that was something I came up with once, you know, somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I played that just that little bit. And he looked at me and said, well, that's you, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was quite, um, I, you know, he told me actually quite a few things I didn't want to hear at the time. He, he said, don't play bluegrass music. You know, uh, I, it was barely enough for me. Or um, he would say, you know, you have different influences. You shouldn't play bluegrass. You're not from Kentucky. Uh, you have to come up with your own music. And I didn't even know what that meant, you know, mm -hmm. when I was 19. I, because, you know, today I, I see people, I see these, I see so many young, young, young musicians and they're 16 and they have heard all these things I'm just saying. I mean, or 10 years old, they have heard all this wisdom, you know, that, that was, that was completely strange to me. Right. For, I, I came out of a world of analog, you know, telephone, pushing a button, pushing a, uh, a coin in, um, you know, and, and, you know, we had three channels on the TV and, you know, in Uwe we would learn a song that we heard, you know, on a country gentleman album and, you know, just go maybe. 
then we would just go and play, you know. so forth just things that we listened and learned from cassette tapes yeah. and, and sometimes we didn't even know the names of these people so there was a very different a very different time and and today i'm just it's amazing you know what young people can already learn and and um, but we had another advantage a little advantage we had we didn't know how good other people were mm-hmm. you know so we never got discouraged much right you know, we, we would play all day and never had doubts that we could also. So, I mean, of course we have doubts, but today sometimes it's a little sad. You know, sometimes today, you know, somebody's picking up a guitar and he plays something for his friend. And his friend instantly pulls the cell phone out and shows him a YouTube clip of somebody who can, I don't know, he can he can eat the, the guitar while he plays, you know, some Paganini stuff. And... Uh, and, and and it just is this it's kind of discouraging, you know what I mean? If right. if you can always out of your pocket, you pull something out that you can never reach, mm-hmm. and 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 it's uh, maybe it's also a different mindset today that you can overcome that easier, you know. But we didn't have that, you know. I was the best banjo player I knew because I was the only one there was until I started playing on the streets, and there was another one that his, his name was Phil. He played a little claw hammer, and you know he showed me how to play claw hammer. Never even knew what that was. You know, it was a different world, and 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 today is uh, the influences are different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Social media plays a big role in that, right? Yes, I agree. And, and and kind of the the feeling that you're never going to be quite as good as the next guy. But at the same time, I think you know across different genres and different instruments, like every every even sports, they all have their kind of. Heroes, right? I mean, there was never a video game called Banjo Hero, although I would argue there should have been. But <laughs> there, there certainly was a Guitar Hero, right? And and so you had all these perceived heroes in, in Hendrix and, and Steve Vai or whoever it might be. And and I think there's there's definitely an argument to say that yeah, it's it's it kind of makes you feel like you can't get there. But I think for a lot of people, it, it's something to aspire to. Yeah, um, and, you know. and and basically, you know, you become a child of your generation. You know whether you whether whether you believe that or not, but you know the, in my time when I started playing the banjo, Bill Keith was really big in Europe. You know he he played um, with Jim Rooney and um, and of course you know the, the Peter Wernick book was out and uh, of course you know Earl Scruggs, Bobby Thompson, you know uh, John Hickman, Ben Eldridge, and most of these people are you know they they don't play anymore. You know they they're gone or they you know I think all of them. Actually, I just named, and um, but they were a big influence on me. And now today, I I was at Nam Show a few years ago, and there was a, a, a young man. He played actually played interesting things on the banjo. I said, "Wow, that's really good." And and uh, I said, "Who do you listen to?" He said, "I don't really know. I'm playing this punk rock band, you know." And and <laughs> I said, "Well, it's 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 good, you know." And um, and I said, "So, do you uh, like Earl Scruggs?" I said, "No, I never heard of him, you know." <laughs> it's just it's just uh it was unimaginable for me growing up that someday you know there would be kids playing banjo with three fingers and don't even know who jd crow was or right. 
or, or, or Earl Scruggs. And, and it's not because these kids are ignorant. It's because they have other people they know. Right. They're, 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 you know, then I think of how many people do I know that my grandpa actually knew artists, mm-hmm. right. you know, that were popular in his time. Not, I'm not talking about the giants. I'm just talking right. about yeah. the general. There's just a fraction left, you know. Most people just sort of disappear. And, uh, but still, you know, Earl Scruggs is, not, <laughs> is a very, very um, important figure. But, um, but so the influence, you know, of how the styles developed. Um, I was still starting to play the banjo when a lot of technique wasn't even invented yet, you know. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't use certain techniques like... That wasn't really... Uh, common when, mm-hmm. I, when I when I grew up, Bella Fleck changed a lot uh, of of the technique. He invented a lot of uh, you know a lot of pulling and all kinds of uh, tricks. You know uh, to play uh, scales. You know playing the different positions okay. and such. He 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 was really good at that. Harmonics. Uh, uh, pardon. Like harmonics as well. He played a lot of. Harmonics and stuff like that. Yeah, and then you know you have all the, you know all the different uh, techniques that you can, uh, and so so I was still in a time where banjo technique was developed, you know, in the, in the traditional way. And I think today with three fingers and a banjo, I mean almost everything is done that's possible. You know, mm-hmm. I, the, the, this this it's like guitar. Um, on acoustic guitar, I think almost everything was done already in the mid '80s. You know that you could do, uh, but the banjo was a little bit behind, lagging behind the guitar. You know, with the right, development right. of this thing. So today, if you play a new, you know, if you play, if you can really noodle, if you can really play a lot of notes and play, it's not as exciting anymore for the audience because right. it's quite normal that you can do that. You know, I so, think on the banjo, the the, the we haven't really discovered different textures and uh you know a lot of because you're you're playing with a lot of different textures but um you know so many people are doing kind of a a very similar textural thing where and they aren't really using that much harmony it's all pretty the harmony hasn't been that explored on on the five string banjo yeah but what's what's nice you know i have a brother who plays plays the guitar you know so i'm playing with the guitar instrument and and because there's the already the harmony going on i can use harmony extensions you know to his his playing i don't necessarily in the ballad need to play the same chords as as uwe can you come in a little bit so people can see you no please please come come here come here come here (laughs) and that would be nice you know um sorry I, i kept them such secret (laughs) so so when Uwe, when Uwe plays a G chord for instance you know I don't necessarily need to play that same G chord you know in traditional yeah. sense you know um, Uwe let's play let's just play a rhythm you know so I'm you know which is beautiful but I can easily play Which is the you know the ninth would be the A so by playing in here. But the interesting chord, for instance, you know when I play a ninth chord, you know we could also change it to E minor in the A minor. Huh? 
change the chord just yeah, play the same thing suspension sore feeling yes i get you know different chords you know uh, uh, that happen because my brother plays of course this is this <laughs> is not something it's not anything new this has been always yeah. been done but but it's on the banjo it's not been done right. that much let's exactly. put it this way you know so so um um let's say if uwe has a, a, a e chord you know i can use sub substitutions for that which are beautiful let's say e minor chord you know and i just um, play a d over it and so experimenting with uh, the different textures uh, i got very inspired listening to a lot of keyboard players uh-huh because that's what they do that's yeah, their that's job what they have two hands to do it <laughs> that's, what that's what they do so i can be part of the actually of a keyboard when Uwe plays a, a ballad or sings a ballad, right. I can my approach is more a, a keyboard la layers, chord structures than just following the chords. Right, right, right. At all times, just playing the same chords because they're already there. Right, you're adding color to it. You know. Yeah, so I can use ninth and you know sixth and you know all the, all the chord extensions that are that are there. Yeah. Know? So yeah. That's nice, yeah, because we just don't have that, it, that many examples of that with, with banjo players doing these sort of things. So it's nice, it's refreshing. Yeah, it's fascinating what Bella Fleck does with his wife, you know, what, what they do, um, what the music yeah. they play together with Abingdale. Um, I just saw them. He does a lot of that, always has done a lot of that. Of course, Tony Trishka has, you know, tried uh, to do, do a lot of that. And I think it's just the direction that really works well when, you, uh, when you're playing with... Um, um, when you're playing with somebody who sings songs, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, sings a slower song, or to to, to come up with new ideas of how, what you can do. Um, do you want to play a song where Uwe sings right now? Yes, why not? It, um, it could be. Um, I don't want to throw you on the spot, Uwe. Oh, he yeah, can't hear. Actually, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, Uwe couldn't hear you. Let's play a little bit of uh, um, uh, of people get ready, you know. I'm gonna put this in front of Uwe a little bit. Thank you. 
I just want to comment on something there that uh, we, we, I'm looking at the chat right here because Uwe's not monitoring it right now. So. <laughs> Uwe's um, mo- I think Uwe's monitoring. He's not right now, he's not. <laughs> John, John Buchanan um, made a very good point, which is something that I notice all the time. Is, is He says, notice how they interweave and play off each other's parts. And it's if, if, if you've ever seen you guys play, if anyone's ever seen you guys play live especially, there's a there's a connection that goes on, especially with you and Joel as well, and, and um, all three of you together. Like the facial expressions, the eye contact, it's not just about the playing, it's like going back and forth with each other and knowing where each one of you is. Like how much of that plays into what the three of you do, both live, but also kind of when you're creating music together as well? Well, the creating process of the music is, is different than the performing. Um, once we know the structure and we know what we want to do, we're, we're trying to connect uh, uh, emotionally as much as possible, which sometimes works better than others. But, but, the, but the, the main aim is to connect as much 
That's absolutely possible. So when Uwe starts off a song at a certain speed, we try to adopt to that and then take that. And we don't want, you know, we, we don't want to say, okay, every night this is going to be exactly this speed or is it going to be exactly this, you know, like this. It's not exactly the same solos or anything. Mm -hmm. We just play and then see what happens. Um, when we create music, like today, we were working on a new version that we came up with from John Prime's uh, uh, John Prime's uh, um, Paradise. Paradise, a very different version, which has sort of um, uh, a riff that like, becomes a, a counterpart melody to the verse. Mm -hmm. and that's a theme, and it's different chords and. It's a totally different structure, and we work really hard on that to get that to the point where it becomes music. Once we have it all figured out, what everybody's playing and where it really goes and how it feels, then we start uh, looking more at each other, actually, just to trying to connect. I think I, you can see in each other's facial expressions um, and the hand movements, you can see the entire body. You can sense it, sort of, you know, um, when you, especially when you know each other. You, I, Uwe just raises the eyebrow maybe a little bit and I already know oh I'm maybe a little too loud or, <laughs> or you know do, do, do different eyebrows mean different things no it's I don't know I couldn't I, I you cannot put your finger on it but it's like you know if you know a person really long you, you see a little movements of how he feels mm -hmm. and I think it's important to know how each other how we feel you know yeah. to check on each other how we feel so the communication is not necessarily um musical musically based you know not that we give each other hints of what we're going to be playing but according to how we feel and how the situation right now feels and uh, how, how much energy he plays and how much force he puts into this or how he backs off i can imagine of what's coming next of the of the of, so i know to back off and or he plays starts to play less i know he's not going to explode in the next second so i can play more right mm -hmm. so so it's it's really, it's really something that's hard to describe, but but a lot of musicians have that who are not brothers. You know, they just sort of click with each other and and they have they just have they find this uh, connection uh, to each other. And sometimes, you know, like I said, it's you're tired, you're on the road. It's not that easy, um, but we're always trying hard to make to play the, the music every time, as in the moment as possible. Right mm -hmm. and 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 the feeling so so it's not like this is the way the song goes this is the tempo and this is what we're going to deliver mm -hmm. it's like before when I let's go back to Margarete just because you heard it before so I play for instance. do get faster and slower and all that that's not predetermined mm -hmm. and that okay. that can only happen because you really pay close attention to the intention of the other musician right mm -hmm. uh, and this is a i think this is the most consuming effort we do on stage not trying to invent new notes is trying to be together of how we want to play in tonight 
Right. You're dancing together almost. Yeah. Yes, you really need to. And it's difficult. I think it's, it's, it's a huge challenge. And this is what makes, it's also what, what gives us the, um, the joy of everyday concerts. Mm-hmm. Because we can go on a long stretch of playing and every night is a new night. Every night we play it in a little different way. We feel different and we find new ways of playing the same material. And it's the same in classical music, basically. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're not playing every night the same. You're not playing the same exactly. You, you're mm-hmm. you're cl- maybe close sometimes, but it's always something new, even mm-hmm. though the notes maybe have not changed. Mm-hmm. So we have mm-hmm. two categories of pieces. Uh, the songs like, you know, uh, 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 People Get Ready, where we more or less know what we're going to do. <laughs> and then we have the pieces that are the compositions where we pretty much know exactly what the notes, but then we can give more emphasis in just interpretation together uh, with Joel and the orchestra, you know, to find a way. And and when it's loose, it's more there's a rhythm section and then there's a good solo over it or something like that. Jens, there was just a question from a, uh, from Barbara. She asked how you write everything down. Do you use a, a pen and paper or use a computer program? And how do you do that? Okay, to to remember to remember most of my themes, I, I use my little iPad and just play them on the voice recorder. Um, and then I have in my scrapbook, I, I write in, uh, I just write it either, either as tablature, you know, a, a sequence, or I write it in as, 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 as music, as notation. And then when I compose, actually, the entire score, I go to Logic and write it into Logic. Because then I also have sample players that help me sort of uh, imagine what the string quartet will actually sound like I'm writing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that helps me, you know. So, so then I write it into the computer. You write it in using a, using a keyboard? No, I write it in with the mouse, you know, just okay. write it in. Note by note. I don't, no, I, yes, note by note. I don't... I don't have a keyboard where I just, you know, sort of write in. I've seen people do that and I wish I could, but uh, I still have to think about really every note, especially when I write counterpoint and, uh-huh. you know, uh, contrary moving uh, uh, melody lines. And I really want to have every note under control I write. I don't want to just, I used, I had once I had a MIDI guitar or, and I used a MIDI pickup on the banjo right. and I could, but the problem was it would not sync up. Then you had to quantize all the time. Right, and, yeah, and, yeah. and then I ended up, you know, playing what I could always play. And <laughs> it wasn't inspiring because yeah. when I then write down things, I can follow the, the melodies and the ideas I have in my head you know, on a micro level. And are you writing on your, on the banjo usually, or, or, you know, are you, are you coming up with the notes on the banjo and then writing it down? Or are you well yes for my melody for my melody playing yes uh, for, for my melodic playing you know I'm trying to work them out on the banjo I make sure that I can play them um, before I you know compose everything around but for this for the orchestra of course you know for the strings and such I, I play enough violin so I know the positions and I know what's possible and whatnot and that's the challenge writing for a string quartet because you're writing basically for four virtuosos mm-hmm. and uh, and you don't want to play things you don't want to you know write things that are uh, too demanding so they don't sound good anymore and you don't want to you know uh, underestimate what they can do so it's good to understand the instruments to a level that that you understand this is this is ex- this is, can be executed well and this sounds really good and you can right. put this together like that and um, to understand the range or, uh, of the instruments and that that really helps you know and it's a satisfying process actually when you have then in the end maybe a string quartet is really happy and wants to play your pieces and it's it's actually very beautiful but i of course then i don't uh, i just write them in you know i don't learn them on the banjo i have these uh, 
uh, pieces and um, passages where they play alone, you know, uh-huh. um, where, they, where they where we don't perform, you know, in the in the, in the piece. And um, it's, I, I love I love it, you know. I, I actually would like to write more classical music just for the just for the parts. Don't even play on it. <laughs> What's been the most satisfying piece that you've written? Uh, like when you finally get to hear it come to life with with the quartet or or what's been the most rewarding part of it do you think is there a specific piece that stands out for you there's there's actually there's a lot of pieces um um, yeah the the council of the migrant gestures for instance was always very it's from roan mountain uh, suite the last movement um a very satisfying piece to play with the orchestra. Um, with, with the, also for sim- symphony, we have uh, pieces written um, that I think they're just uh, fabulous. You know, when you sit there, it's also, uh, it's, you know, I you know I play maybe and there's a whole symphony behind us and and Uwe says it's it's a little bit like there's a huge Jens sitting all around him because every note you know comes <laughs> comes out of my idea and exactly. <laughs> And, and and you know of course you know the, the, the nice thing about orchestration I, I can give them all the parts I can play you know of course you know this is the banjo is very limited in comparison to, you know to, uh, to the abilities of an orchestra but uh, mm-hmm. and it's so much fun you know I I have uh, lines that can double they 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 I can use all these uh, uh, harmonic structures you know behind it that um, that I that I want to hear it's a beautiful thing then you sit on stage and you have a room full of people and uh, this is glorious sound coming from behind it's it's really rewarding it really yeah. is do they Sometimes, have any input? pardon me i was just gonna ask do, do they have any creative input in what you do so i mean you write the parts you bring it to them you play it together and you you run through kind of what's going on and maybe there's something that didn't quite turn out how you imagined it might turn out do you allow them any creative freedom in that sense on their respective instruments or is it really how you want it to go it's pretty much written as is, you know. And yeah. uh, what I what I really go through is not the music. I I don't uh, go through it with the musicians as much as with the conductor. So mm-hmm. usually with the conductor, I sit down before the rehearsals and we go through each piece of, um, um, you know, and I maybe play for him so he can see what the emotion is, uh, the you know, how sure. he really feels. And I, you know, I maybe give them some pointers. Uh, there's a lot of markings in the score, of course, you know, yeah. um, that helps them to conduct. And usually they have the score quite in advance and I talk to them on the phone about the piece or they listen even to the recordings, you know, of the pieces and um, and then they, they can go from there. Uh, but it's sometimes challenging, you know, there's, um, sometimes things are quite hard. Um, and then you have orchestra. For instance, you know, I, I did a few. Um, there's not boo boos, but things I wouldn't do anymore. Like uh, I had a beautiful intro, like and and this 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 note here. This this, this note I written it for for French horn, this D. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this this high D on the French horn is possible because French horn goes up to F and and uh, and the D would be possible but only for a really good player mm-hmm. and uh, and just out of the blue play that D really precise is a, a real challenge I wasn't aware of this problem I would have probably then written it for trumpet it would have been much mm-hmm. easier it would have sounded good you know mm-hmm. um, but I written it for the French horns you know and then we had places where 
conductor said, oh, it's no problem. My French on camp player can do that. And then, <laughs> and, and then during the concert, you start like, <laughs> was like, oh, okay. And, you know, also, uh, also uh, rhythmic passages, you know, that, that are very common to us as uh, musicians who uh, are common, you know, have common knowledge of, of jazz or syncopation. Um, sometimes it's difficult for orchestras to follow a passage that goes. You know, it's not easy yeah. uh, because because it's not what classical players do all the time. And when you play with a with a community orchestra, it's it's asked a lot. You know, so uh, so sometimes you take these pieces out or this here. You know, for us, this is quite normal, but for orchestra in the back with the trumpets, and then there's the time delay and the stage delay. And so I had to learn that uh, sometimes even things that seem straightforward are are not that easy for orchestra to execute, right. you know, uh, uh, on the fly. And then other things that I thought might be very difficult, they're very easy for them. So right. it's a learning curve, you know? Yeah. yeah. And how much, and back in when you're, how much improvisation goes when you're playing with the Kruger brothers or uh, for the first, when you're playing like a traditional piece versus uh, something original that you've written or when you're playing with an orchestra, there's, there may be probably are there spots for improvisation? In the orchestra, I built in spots for improvisation. I always I put, you know, always uh, write in passages where Uwe can get out of this corset of music um, and turn loose a little bit, you know, and have his freedom where I give him a chord structure where he can you know, just turn loose and be himself right. and uh, need some, you know, play time. And uh, because it's it's quite demanding, he's not playing, Uwe's not playing, for instance, the, the melody part and... Um, so there's a lot of chord structures that he has to remember and it's mm -hmm. not as, and then he has to pay attention to my speed and it's, it's a very demanding job actually playing mm -hmm. guitar with me. And, and so the, then, um, so in our program, you know, uh, the singing songs that Uwe does, there's about 50% of the singing songs that are pretty set. There's not much improvisation going on, but there's about 50% of the songs I would say where there's quite some improvisation going on. That's a big relief for me and for Uwe. Right. And right. for everybody just to have that time. On the other hand, it's beautiful to have very set things. You know, I mm -hmm. like the contrast of the very set things that are just, you just have the freedom and you just give yourself that freedom of interpretation, which is like yeah. a freeing limitation. It sounds yeah, yeah. weird, you know, because I don't have to think about notes. I don't have to think about the notes I will be playing. They're all set. So I, so I don't have to worry about them. And it gives me lots of freedom just to think about the interpretation. Mm -hmm. and, and so that gives me that freedom. And, and then sometimes, on the other hand, I have the songs where I don't really know what I'm going to play and I have the freedom of the notes. Right. And so we try to have a mixture of that uh, during, the, during the concerts. And, um, and of course, Uwe sings the songs and, uh, uh, and I write the instrumentals or... For the songs, I sometimes also come up with the melodies, you know, all the arrangements, you know, for yeah. chord structures or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It gives the band, you know, everybody in the band a way to um, mentally kind of breathe 
doing different things and then also the audience you know so it's not a you know one kind of very rigid sort of thing where it's just too much jamming or too much rigidity you know yeah in the moment you know it's, it's been it's been an interesting time this year because we haven't been on the road since march you know we came mm -hmm. home from england in march and everything shut down and uh, we pretty much stayed at home since we played we had our first uh live stream that we did uh, a few days ago for the IBMA that's going to be aired, you know, I think on the 2nd of October mm -hmm. on, a, on a rooftop in Raleigh. It was very weird to sit in the van and go somewhere. It felt good, you know, with me sitting in front, who was driving there. And, <laughs> right, and we're right. talking, drinking coffee, like in the good old days. And for us, it was, it was a good feeling. Um, but, um, uh, but it's been quite challenging. And we, we you know, we, what we realized early on in this uh, situation that we needed to connect with our audience uh, by live via you know uh, streaming mm -hmm. so we um we um, read up you know on how the technical side would work maybe for that and we got some cameras and you know and, uh, iPhones you know mm -hmm. and we have a bigger sony camera and we uh, got lights we changed the studio. We opened up a wall, so we have the drummer in the room with the plexiglass, and and so we're doing uh, two shows per week on Friday night at seven and Saturday night at seven, and it always starts at seven as a little pre-show, ten minutes, quarter hour, where we just noodle around. Nobody can see us, but we're doing sound check and such, mm -hmm. and then we do a forty-five minute set. And uh, we've been doing this now since uh, end of March, and it's for us. Uh, it's it helps, really it helps us to survive in the moment, you know, uh, mm -hmm. invested. So we have multiple cameras and um, our assistant, uh, our office assistant is, um, is you know, swiping through the, through the different cameras and we have a little intro and um, it's actually a cute little show, really is. And we have uh, quite a few people who... Facebook, is it? It's on Facebook and YouTube, yes. You can go to Kruger Brothers uh, Facebook or uh, Kruger Brothers YouTube channel and you can see it there. Um, it's free, you know, you can, um, it's every Friday night at seven and uh, Saturday night at seven. And it's a lot of fun. And uh, especially it was challenging for us, you know, I must know the challenge is, yeah, it's challenging and fun at the same time. It's, we, uh, we played over, we played well over 200 songs, different songs in all the shows now. <laughs> so we, so we, ha we haven't, re we have, re you know, uh, done several songs again, uh, mm -hmm. like Carolina Falls and, uh, you know, people get ready, or we had a few note requests and things right. that we had to do again and wanted to do again. But it's still, you know, it was it's amazing, you know, that uh, we got you know over two hundred songs now that we played, you know, on these shows. And we have a new show coming up, you know, uh, for uh, tomorrow. We're gonna have a show Saturday, and and it's a different life, you know. And so we'll see, you know, how long we we we, we probably want to try to continue this. As long as we can, you know, even though if we have concerts again, maybe do, uh, yeah, yeah. do it on different days or, you know, we don't know. But I, I think it's a beautiful way of connecting to the to the people, yeah. lots of positive responses and lots of comments. And it's a, and the, the nicest thing to see is the community that uh, starts to um, develop. Yeah. Out of the out of the audience itself, so they 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 talk to each other and they say, "Oh, you're here again," and so it's. it's mm -hmm. Community. It's like and going so, to a festival. <laughs> yeah, it's like going to a festival. People see each other again and they, they tune in and they know 
they know it's going to be Friday night, so they're going to going to see the Kruger Brothers. And it's a lot of fun. And also we had guests, you know, like like Josh Goforth, we had Laura Businger, um, we just had Patrick Crouch, and we have great pianist, uh, um, Dennis, and we had, and Jody Carl uh, is a drummer, a really good friend of ours, and he, um, he's he been with us playing drums, percussion, for more than a year now. Um, and he's helping us tremendously, you know, doing these shows, because, we also take out the, the, the electric guitars sometimes or mm-hmm. different kinds of music. And it's just great to have this percussion element if you're playing variety of music. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Yeah. And we need, we, it's great y'all are doing it. We need, you know, we need music out there. Everybody needs, needs something, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, that's why we deliberately, you know, we're not talking about uh, uh, Corona or, uh, you mm-hmm. know, we want to have people just, just forget about and uh, you know the troubles. Yeah, yeah. You know, just to have have a good time and enjoy music, and um, uh, uh, it's very important that we can do this. It's, uh, it's what we do. You know, we're we're the ones who want to help uh, uh, atmosphere to be better mm-hmm. from from our perspective. You know, we want to music makers, right? Well. Well, there's different takes, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's art, you know, you can do whatever you want and then people do whatever they want with it. And, uh, uh, and it's art, you know, as long as you create a, a sensation and a reaction and, and uh, an emotional response of some kind. But, but, but when I was younger, I realized that there's a big responsibility as soon as you are on a stage or you play for people. I say you have 10 people in a room and you say something, you you can change the atmosphere of the room by mm-hmm. who you are, who you, how do you present yourself and um, how much good can you bring into the room? Right. You know, you can, you can say a few things where everybody afterwards treats each other better. Yeah. Or you could maybe even say a few things where everybody gets very nervous or even <laughs> becomes uh, not nice to each other or depressed or, um, and, you know, so, so at one point as an artist, you know, you can make choices of who you want to be in your job or what you want to do. And uh, I, I find it to be very satisfying to go on stage and try to elevate mm-hmm. um, in a sense of positiveness, um, very simple, you know, um, uh, very, very simple feelings, you know, uh, I mean, not complex feelings, but simple in a sense of calm, you know, something not, yeah. Yeah, something. We, we was playing something. At, <laughs> we we know it's. Uh, how are you doing for time, guys? Because we know it's pretty late out there now. So are you guys okay, or are you? Well, we can go all night. <laughs> no, I know you have to go to sleep. Though. Oh no, that's fine. You see, um, I, I I once played in a. In a, I was hired to to give a workshop for banjo virtuosos things in Banjo mm-hmm. Camp North, great banjo camp. Uh, Bill mm-hmm. Keith was there, and it's quite a while ago. And I was in this classroom talking about <laughs> all the things you know, the the tricks and and all the things how you can play more notes in less time <laughs> and and you know harmonic concepts and and you know all all different things and a whole group full of people and um 
uh, a whole room full of people and they were all very eager to learn and they were like, oh, oh, and how did you do that and do that? And there was an older gentleman sitting in front of, in front of me and he was holding his bench like this and he was obviously in the wrong class. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, and, and then I realized, I, I remembered that this is not why I started playing music. I mean, I, I said to everybody, this is all very interesting things and stuff, but I didn't start playing music because that I, music, I started playing music because music touched me. It opened Right. opened a, a pathway, a, a door to uh, imagination, to worlds I would like to be in, an escape route, route yeah. you know, a, a way of connecting with other people. Um, and so I, so I said, well, uh, the banjo, a banjo sounds beautiful like it is, you know, just a, just a chord. this I just on the spot that Joel was there I just said to Joel play G and then, then A and such and then we just came up with this because it doesn't need to be complicated yep to be music right? Thank you. 
Absolutely beautiful. And it's the name of it, Beautiful Nothing, because, you know, it's not virtuoso. <laughs> I actually, I have, I know that we're long into the part, but I, I would really like to talk about Deering banjos a little bit, because, you know, the banjo construction and our, my relation to Deering. Um, you can do that a little bit, yeah, for sure. Because people, people have seen me play Deering banjo, you know, for, for a long time. And, um, uh, and I, you know, I, I met Greg and Janet, at Morofest, 1997. Um, I, I have a lot of students, you know, in, in Switzerland and they needed banjos and I had a good friend who built banjos on the site, but he just couldn't fulfill all the demand. And so I was looking for a banjo that was affordable and sounded good. So I was uh, selling lots of Sierras. I wasn't selling them. I was telling a, a music uh, a store that I knew uh, mm-hmm. to import them. And so they did. And um, my students started playing. I was really impressed by the quality, you know, for what they costed and what they cost. And but they, um, and so at Morofest, I met uh, Janet and, and Greg, and we became instant friends, uh, instant, inst- instantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has been uh, beautiful. So uh, I've been always involved in banjo construction because of my friend Bobby Lauer, who built banjos in Switzerland, and mm-hmm. he ordered parts, you know, from First Quality and from the Stuart McDonalds, and you know, all these different banjo. Uh, part manufacturers mm-hmm. and you know sellers and so he would build actually very beautiful instruments out of these parts mm-hmm. but it was great you know we got to experiment with different types of tone rings and we would you know make them smaller and bigger and get different wood rims and you know try all kinds of things to make sound you know see what it does to the sound of the banjo he was an engineer himself so he was very interested so I had a real you know brother there you know trying to figure out you know what a banjo could sound like other than just this you know the banjos we had and uh, and then that helped me over years and years you know to um uh, to understand the instrument better and better and better um of of how to set it up and what makes it tick you know from the tailpiece to the, the frets to the flange to everything because we tried it all out uh, on you know 100 different models hundreds mm-hmm. and then we started making tone rings uh um I still have in my attic, I still have at least 100 tone rings we poured, um, you know, different alloys and different. Uh, um, and so with Greg, it was it was amazing, you know. So uh, I really like to share this story because it's, really, yeah. it's so significant to, to my life. Yeah. Um, and I was always on the road because I was a musician. I was gone and my children were small and... Uh, I had to be on the road a lot and go back and forth between America and Europe. And at one point, I thought maybe it's better if we would relocate, we would relocate to America, you know, just come here. Um, and um, But that wasn't easy because, you know, I, I'm, I'm not American and to get a green card and the working permit and all that, that's not, that's not quite easy. So I needed a, an official job. Now... At the IBMAs, you know, a few years ago, Janet said, if you ever want a job, uh, just call me. And um, 
And so I called her up. I said that that December, you know, I said to her, uh, I called her up, Janet. Did you ever mention something about the job? She said, Yeah, you hired. <laughs> I, said, I said, and it was so. It's like like that. She said, You hired, and we didn't even talk what or because she just said, Just tell us what we can do better or help us with the banjos, you know, of how what we could improve. Um, and I said, well, that, that would be amazing. And so I called up the, the immigration lawyer that was helping us at the time. I was telling her, I got a job, now what? And she was quite <laughs> astounded. She said, wow, you already got a job. It took you five minutes. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, and we've been friends of Janet and Greg, you know, for a long time with Uwe and Joel. We, we, we played, um, we, we still got to visit them when they were still in Lemon Grove and um, in the old company. And then now they're, um, what's that? Yeah, and now in the new company when they opened it, you know, we played in the empty hall. You know, we mm -hmm. opened, we were in there, you know, with Oki Adams and everybody, and there was hundred, a few hundred people. And I remember, you know, that uh, Bob Taylor came and everybody. So that was quite a long time ago. That was before we moved to America, um, and so we've been friends a long time. And um, Janet and Greg have helped me uh, tremendously, you know, with with the banjos. I was actually. Um, I was asked by Gibson if Gibson could sponsor me, you know, at the time. And uh, uh, Todd Wright at the time would come, you know, and say, uh, we would like you to have a Gibson. But I had an old Gibson that I played and I, I, I liked. And so I said, well, and I looked at the new banjos that they had and I thought, well, they're good, but they're actually not quite as good as the banjo I'm already playing. So I'm standing there and and uh, uh, and Janet is over by at the Deering booth and she looks at me and says, hey, Jens, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, Gibson might want to, you know, give me a banjo or, you know, help me, you know, because I don't want to maybe travel my old banjo all the time. And so she said, yeah, have you ever tried one of ours? You know, that was, that was in the very beginning of our, you know, sort of friendship. And I said, yes, but you know, my banjo is actually fairly good, you know, and I don't even know if I want to, you know, play another instrument. Mm -hmm. And then she said, Hey, why don't we, why don't we all go out for dinner with Uwe and Joel and, and Philip at the time. And we were in the gold house hotel, you know, in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And, uh, Janet was there with Carolina and uh, sitting at the table having dinner. And then she said, you know, say, so Jens, you know, it's like that. Uh, how, how about that? We built you anything you, you want until you're happy. <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> and I said, I said, are you, got it? Are you, you kidding me? And she said, no, no, not at all. Well, because Janet didn't know what she was getting into at that moment. Somebody got to the wine we were there. <laughs> uh, and, and then there's a, you know, and so, so this, this, uh, so I, I told her, you know, I would like to try. And so they built me a banjo and they built me another one and another one. And the, I visited the company and we worked more. And that's when she said, if you ever, you know, needed a job. Um, and so from there on, you know, with Greg, of course, you know, with Greg, Greg is this big bear and you just you just gotta love him you know he's just it's just the best so um <laughs> so but Greg we had so much fun you know we, we would I would come in sometimes into the company years ago and we would work on prototypes like for the eagle or you know for other banjos and we would come in and I, I would always come in for three four days you know at the time and they would say okay sleep's cancelled and we, we would sometimes get from the airport and we would go to the company and don't even you know and just work all night and we I think we once made I don't want to you know I think we made three prototypes in two days mm -hmm. you know and um, 
and you know went to the benches you know there's nobody working at night so we're, we have the entire company for ourselves <laughs> and it was amazing you know we tried all kinds of different woods and and tone ring shapes and i mean we, we just completely turned loose you know in an experimental stage of of what we could do and for me it's a dream time actually for me it's uh, amazing what i could learn and amazing what we could achieve and so we took pretty much every part on the banjo and reinvented it over over the years including the tuning pegs everything everything is reinvented mm-hmm. on, on this on this banjo either with the companies that make the tuning pegs like goto at the time mm-hmm. or or the or, or we changed the banjo heads even with redremo we changed uh, the resonator shapes the tone ring shapes the wood the wood rims the flanges the the, the coordinator rods, the truss rods, the frets, the binding, everything, the lacquer. I mean, everything has been reinvented, tailpiece, everything. And I think so. I'm so proud of what, uh, of what the company's been doing uh, for the banjo world because the quality is so high and they're trying so hard to keep, you know, the work, work in San Diego, pay the people right, treat them well and have a good company. And, and for me, this is, uh, it's been a, an amazing uh, friendship and you know because we're on the Deering podcast I really want to talk about that because I'm so deeply involved and now of course I met Jamie Deering um, when she was I think 18 wow. <laughs> so, yeah. 18 uh, at the NAM show she once came by and there was never a thought of of course of Jamie she was a baby underneath the table on the first at one of the first NAM shows right? that's she's, right she's in her bassinet under the, yeah, under the table at the, at the show yeah and um and uh, so, so, uh, so now she's um, she's running the company, and uh, uh, of course, you know, uh, along with the help of the entire staff. And uh, but she's she's phenomenal and taken over, you know, in the tradition. And uh, uh, she has phenomenal new ideas. She was long, and you know, Jamie was long. Uh, she was an amazing uh, asset to the company because she took over artist relation at one point. And she brought in all these connections to younger generations, uh, very you know like Mumford and Sons and uh, Drop. Um, I want to say Drop Dead Murphy. What is it, Drop Kick? <laughs> <laughs> no, all these fantastic bands, you know that the Avert Brothers and you know and all all the all the bands. And she she just has such a way, you know, when you when you when you look at Jamie, she has such a way to be with people. That you just see, you see an open heart. There's no hidden anything. She's just open and as nice as it can be, and and you can talk to her. And these artists feel really safe because they can say, "Oh, I'd like to have a banjo like this." Like, uh, uh, you know, I'd like to have a banjo that looks like that or sounds like that. Or I can plug in, or they have special needs, you know, to for 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 their profession. And Jamie will make it happen, you know, and uh, with with the whole crew you know with chad and of course you know jamie uh, laddie you know and uh, all the input you know and david you know you you've been so important for the company with the advertisement and everything so i'm, I'm very proud no 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 it's it's now i have to say that you know i'm really really proud to be part to be part of this of, of the deering company because it's it's a real partner t- for me and it uh, it it helped me a lot in my life you know to actually come to america I, I would not be in America without Deering, without mm-hmm. because then after three years, you know, I could I was able to apply in the three years that I came with my family, I was able to apply for a green card, and I could not have made this process, you know, without without the help of Janet and Greg, and they have now 
like Hank Smith is a great banjo player, you know, who does, you know, yeah. um, and they help Hank and they help everybody that is, that loves banjo. They're open hearted and welcome them. And, and uh, I think we were able to bring a new banjo to the table for professional banjo players, you know, with a new standard, uh, a real high, extreme high standard, like people like Terry Bokum would trust it. And, mm-hmm. and more and more people, you know, professional players see, oh yeah, that's actually an right. unbelievable choice of instrument. And I'm very proud to be a part of that. Uh, and then we're, the, we're honored to have you as well, Jens, because- The other uh, ones, the cheaper ones, you know, because the entry, but- Yes, <laughs> yes, no, Uwe, Uwe is really right. You know, I was talking about the, the, the but when you look at, you know, the, 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 the good time banjos, uh, the good time banjos are is revolutionary. It was revolutionary. It was the best, the best entry banjo level banjo there is, and still is. And it, and and it uh, and uh, if you want to start playing the banjo, you just get a good time and you're all set. And the nice thing is, if you have a problem with it, you just call Deering. Uh, you know, in, in San Diego, you don't. You know, it just works. They help you. And so, well, yeah, hats off. <laughs> anyway, so when you see me, I just uh, broke my banjo neck last year, you know, of my signature model. That's why I don't have the, ne- the neck of my signature model on here. But I, I was promised I get a new neck. Yeah, well, we're <laughs> but, uh, you just paid but, for it in kind. <laughs> no, but this is this is really good. It's, it's, you're absolutely right, Jens, and it's, um, I think, testament. You know, when you're talking about Greg and Janet and uh, general, this the generosity as people. You know, I've been with the company nearly 10 years. David, you've been with us longer than that. And I think we can all agree that Janet and Greg are probably two of the most generous people on the face of the planet. And their their just need and desire to help, like genuinely help people, kind of spills over and into what they do in a company uh, by, by really just wanting people to be able to play and, and providing those resources and yes. people to look up to. And then you touched as well on the on the artists like Jamie bringing on other you know other artists as well, and that's one again, and it's another long time daring thing to where it's never mattered what you play, you know. So we can go from a Tony Trishka to a Terry Bachman to a Ryan Kavanaugh to to a Jeff DeRosa playing basically punk music, you know, to Mumford and Sons. Yes, all and, the and way Tony, through, and it doesn't and, matter. And Satriani and Rod Stewart. Yeah, Satriani, and, Rod Stewart, you know, Dixie you know, Chicks, or the Chicks, I should say. Um, yeah, you know. And yes. uh, it's it's remarkable when you think about it. You know, the, yes, the, 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 I, I, and I think you know, Greg was always um, he was always said, "We're not building badges, we're building dreams." And mm-hmm. I, and it's and it's true because music—that's what music is. You know, it's. It's it's a dream, you know. It's an idea, and it's and it's beautiful that 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 people who make these instruments always also think like the people who play it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Jens, where are you at as far as? Let's talk about real quick. What's next? What what are you working on right now? <laughs> Actually, I have a, a interesting. Pro- Actually, we're going on tour in October. It looks like to Switzerland. Oh, we good. have nine, nine concerts set up. And it looks like we can play the concerts. There's um, restrictions, you know, of how many people can be in a room and wearing face masks and so forth. But it looks yeah. like we can we can go through. Um, Joel will not go with us. Uh, we're going to have working with Peter and Walter Kaiser in Switzerland, really two famous, really phenomenal musicians, uh, bass and drums. And it's going to be a little different program, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And so we're looking forward for that. Uh, going out the country, we have to go to quarantine for 10 days when we get to Europe. 
That's right. Um, and, um, and then we can start rehearsing and go on tour. It's going to be interesting to, to do that. Uh, and uh, and I'm also composing a new, a new commission, a piece. Um, it's called, um, well, I had the idea a few years ago. I'm living, we're living in Wilkes County in North Carolina, which is, has sort of its nickname, the, the uh, moonshine capital of the world. I think there's a few places in the Appalachians who claim that name maybe, but <laughs> County definitely has a right to claim it <laughs> because NASCAR started here, um, Junior Johnson, you know, and this was um, the races between the uh, uh, the moonshine drivers, you know, who would deliver the moonshine to some place mm -hmm. because they had to be able to maybe outrun a, a police car or such. And um, of course there's a Moonlight Sonata written um, of course, Beethoven didn't name it Moonlight Sonata, it was later named. But, um, but I thought, why don't I write the Moonshine Sonata? <laughs> I <laughs> so, like that. That's so, cool. <laughs> so, Sonata, in a, you know, and it's, there's, there's a little irony. You know, I was, and now I have a commission by, by Frenzy in Wilkesboro uh, and some uh, moonshine companies that actually uh, to write the Moonshine Sonata for Wilkes County. And who else would write it than than me, you know, I play banjo and I write classical. So Moonshine Sonata is pretty much, you know, what I need, have to do. It's like destiny. Um, and the, the hardest part is now I, I have my whole cupboard full of moonshine and I have to go through all it and um, learn about yeah. the effects of moonshine. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's not true. But you know, but the moonshine sonata is 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 fun. I'm I'm experimenting with new dissonances and uh, counter ideas, and and so it's, it's a great challenge, and I'm absolutely loving it. It's a great process. And the irony about it is that a moonshine that a sonata is basically a piece for solo or small ensemble, meaning two, most main or maybe three people, but usually two people or one one person. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the sonata form has uh, three three parts, uh, the, the distinct parts, you know, in the old times. And then you add a fourth part and the fifth part, one in the beginning, one in the end, maybe. And, but as soon as this sort of sonata form uh, gets played with more people than two or three or four, and you have an orchestra, it's called symphony, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so it's irony. I'm writing it for string quartet, Uwe Jolomi, and percussion. And I still kind of call it sonata, right? <laughs> so... Um, Maybe it That's is. very cool. Maybe there's some double vision involved or something. <laughs> 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 you your but I, I will have some parts, you know, where I play alone, I guess. Um, but but it's it's nice to stick to a to a to a musical form. Of course, sonata form today is not uh, what it used to be in the Baroque times or what it was was in the Romantic times. It always had its flavors and different composers. You know, even Beethoven would write sonatas that were far away from the idea of a sonata basically, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes mm -hmm. he would not even play the third part or, uh, you know, would, would, would not stick to the development, you know, uh, issues that, that were, you know, involved and would come up with complete new ideas. So I'm actually quite free. And because the moon moonshine uh, taxing, you know, the whiskey taxing started right after the uh, Revolutionary War, I can go actually back, you know, 200 years easily with my musical ideas and don't have to stick to to, to modern ideas. I can um, have the influence from the last 200 years in my music, which is, gives me another great freedom, you know, to stick with the theme. So that's next. So I'm, I'm writing and I have already orchestrated about, you know, eight minutes, I guess. Um, 
and uh, have themes for maybe another 15, 20. And, but it's but it's going to premiere sometime then in the fall. So it's an ongoing process. Very happy one. Next fall. Next fall. Next next spring. Sorry, next spring. Next spring. Sorry, sorry. Mm-hmm. All right, my friends. I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, David. Thank you very much for helping out here today. This is awesome. Um, Jens and Uwe, it's been a pleasure. You've got to play us out though. Okay, we will. Would you mind? Uh, we play. Right. We play loud. Thank you to everybody you for joining us today. Uh, uh, I think we're going to play. It's night out there. Yeah. We're going to play a little bit of night skies, I think. All right, thank, guys. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, you're very welcome. We're great having you again, and um, we'll see you again soon. All right. <laughs>